Uh, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve, and um, you know what a what a great hope that we have. Like, uh, you know, that's an old time kind of an old time song with electric guitar. I'm sure it was written for electric guitar. Um, uh, but just realizing that that this world, our hope lies beyond this world, and that God has better things in store for us, is a is a great thing to to remember. And um, God's people have been singing that for generations. Um, that that uh, one day he's going to come back and take care of this mess that we've created. Uh, so I'm glad, glad you guys are here. You know, one thing before I get into my message, um, man, it feels like so much has happened. I can't believe it's just a week ago, but last week, uh, Leanne presented like a, a staff with a, like a February Valentine's thank you. And I just want to speak on behalf of all the staff. I, I know I'm like all the full-time staff here that just thank you guys for your generosity and your care for us. Um, really means a lot. Uh, uh, the fact that you like love us and care for us and put up with us um, is is uh, is pretty remarkable. And uh, somebody asked me yes, at one time, like, if I've ever thought about going to another church, and I was like, would, is, seriously, do you think another church would take me? You know, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't find one, so we had to start one. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, I should stay with my script. Um, but uh, but uh, if you're just joining us, we are in John chapter 4 this morning. And, uh, and over the last few weeks, we've been looking at, at the, the reality of it, that when Jesus came, like he came to uh, set us free. He came to give us new life. Um, and and uh, all of these people throughout, like in these opening chapters, begin to follow Jesus for different reasons. And, and we see we've seen Jesus' different interactions um, with people. And um, you know, one of the things that that Jesus has offered people, like, and, and he continues to offer people today, is that he offers people life. And we see people coming to him and finding life in him, a life that goes beyond all the things of this world, a life that's not just. I'll fly away and go to heaven someday, but it's a life that's anchored in the here and now as he gives us new life in his spirit and changes the way that we live today. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus interact with a religious leader of the day. His name was Nicodemus, um, and he told Nicodemus, like, Nicodemus, all your religion is great, but you ultimately need to be born again. Have new life from my spirit if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. And, he, and you know, and we, we saw that God sent his only son so that that would, could be possible. You know, and this morning we're going to see Jesus interact with somebody who's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from Nicodemus. Like a couple of weeks ago, we saw Nicodemus, a, a respected religious leader of the Jews. And this week we're going to see Jesus interact with a woman who, for a lot of reasons, was kind of like probably marginalized even in her own society. Um, and, uh, and, we're going to, and we're going to be seeing multiple things. You could pray for me this morning because you can see I'm kind of like fumbling along my my shoulder has like um, is causing me more pain than normal. For those of you that know about my shoulder pain, but I've got a loose screw. So, um, yeah, people have known that. So, uh, I mean, literally, it's not loose; it's broken, and so hence my hand in my pocket. And every once in a while, when I flail around, uh, uh, anyway. So, enough personal confession, but trying to stay stick with it this morning. <clears throat> But in our study, what we're going to see that Jesus is going to like interact with this woman at this well, and he's going to demonstrate to her that new life is found in him. And we're going to see it really break out in four different ways, uh, in four different kind of like conversations. 
Um, we're going to talk about this necessary journey that Jesus took, just kind of setting up the, the background for us in verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to see some real questions begin to be asked as Jesus interacts with this woman. Then we're going to see Jesus talk about living water. And then we're going to see him end speaking about true worship. So why don't we just get into it this morning? Stand with me. I'll read verses 1 through 12 of, of, first, of John chapter 4. And then I'll pray and we'll, we'll get into the, the text together. This is John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it, was, who, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the encouragement it is to me to be with your people and just to praise you in song. And I just ask that as we enter into studying your word together, that you would empower me and my weakness to be able to communicate clearly, that you would open our hearts to hear your word, and that um, through it all, that you would tr transform us and that Jesus, Jesus would receive glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Give you seated. You know, in the opening verses, we see this kind of necessary journey in verses 1 through 6, and and um, it, it's a really interesting kind of thing that happens. It says that when, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was ma making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea. You know, there's a really, uh, this is a really subtle kind of picture in these first couple of verses about Jesus' intentionality. Because, because uh, if, if, you're, if you've been with us in our study of John, the Pharisees are kind of like the bad guys in the, in the Gospel of John. There's a couple of different parties in the Pharisees are so far anyway, have been kind of like uh, opponents number one. And, and we saw them oppose the ministry of John the Baptist. And now as Jesus is gaining popularity, the Pharisees began to take notice. And so Jesus recognizes that, that they're, they're taking notice of him. And so he decides to stop ministering in the area around Jerusalem where the Pharisees were headquartered and, headquartered and head back to um, Galilee. It's really subtle. But the reality is this, is that one day Jesus is going to give himself into the hands of the Pharisees and others, um, and, and he'll end up being executed. But it wasn't time for that yet. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that he was beginning to draw their attention. Jesus knew that that, uh, that that would ultimately lead to his death, but he had some work to do first. And so he decided to leave there and go back to his home region of Galilee. But to get through to Galilee, he had to pass through the region of Samaria. 
And so what we're going to find out is that Jesus had work to do in Galilee, but he had like some important work to do in the, in the cities of Samaria. Um, and, and there's going to be this little layover that we're going to look at while they're there. That's really important for us because, because um, what, we, what we understand is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And here in Samaria, he's going to encounter a person that no good Jew would talk to. And we're going to see like his life-changing ministry in her life. It says that, that um, he, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. I think there's two different senses that, that we're to understand that. One of them is that geographically, to get from Jerusalem back to Galilee, the quickest route was to go through Samaria. So you had to go through Samaria unless you were going to take this big detour. But I think it's even more than that, that God had some work for him to do in the city of Samaria. And we'll talk about the Samaritans in a minute. And so Jesus had to go there because um, he, had, he had work that needed to be done. And we see in verses 5 and 6 that he, he comes upon this um, the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was weary. And he sat down there by the well and, and was taking a rest, right? It was about the sixth hour. It's high noon. It's the hottest part of the day. Jesus gets to the city of Sychar in Samaria. He's weary and he's tired and he sits down to take a rest. You know, I just want to make one comment before we move on. This is all just kind of background. But Jesus shows us something, and he's, he's the perfect son of God. But he shows us something here that our journey in this world at times makes us weary. You know what I'm talking about? And Jesus, even as the son of God, as God himself, having taken on perfect, I mean, taken on human flesh and lived as a perfect human, even Jesus got weary. It's not just making it up. John's not just saying this, even though Jesus wasn't weary. He was actually tired and hot and probably sweaty. And he sat down by this well, like, and wanted a drink. You know, our journey in this world often makes us weary and he encounters a woman whose journey in this world had and we'll see this in just a minute made her weary and thirsty and she had sought to quench it in her own way and yet and then jesus offers her something better i think there's something just really honest about our lives that we need to come to grips with that oftentimes i think we think that this world is is we, we live as if this world's our home as if this world is is going to be give us everything we want we strive and strive and strive and strive, and we, and we just end up being seemingly surprised when it doesn't deliver everything that we think it should promise us. You don't know what I'm talking about? Jesus was weary not because he put his hope in the wrong place, but he encounters a woman who sought to quench her like weariness and thirst in her own way. And he, he steps in to minister to her, and he would desire to minister to us in the same way. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, we don't, we don't need to turn there. I don't, I don't even have the, these verses on the screen, but it says this. It says, talking about Jesus, it says, Since then the children share in the flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death. Speaking about the devil. He's like, because we're weak and, and we get weary in this world, Jesus himself took on flesh. It goes on in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in all things. He became a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Like Jesus walked in our shoes. 
He experienced the weariness of this world. He experienced thirst and hunger. And, he's, and because of that, he's able to come to our aid. Jesus is the one who knows how to meet our needs more than anyone else. And while he's sitting there by the well, he has this encounter with a woman. Um, and this brings us to our second point, real question, starting at verse 7. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it's an interesting scene. So everybody else is gone. Jesus is sitting by this well. And he encounters this woman and asks her for a drink. And then the Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, verse 9, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Like, this is kind of blowing the Samaritan woman's mind, you know? And, and I was thinking about, like, how, to, like, how to, to, to help us grasp, like, the chasm between like the Jews and the Samaritans and bring it into our our contemporary mind a little bit and the best thing I can think of is like is is what living in like what it would have been like to to live as a black person in Jim Crow South you know like 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 19 the year is 1943 1943 and uh you're living in and this, the scene's unfolding there. You can think about it in black and white if you want to. Helpful color for those of you that are older. Anybody, anybody who, how many of you guys were alive in 1943? Okay, a decent percentage, a decent percentage of you guys. So this isn't that long ago, contrary to what it looks like. Um, uh, sorry, that was a little dig. You guys, that just sailed right past you guys. You're too, oh, there you go. You'll, you'll get it like three minutes from now, Bill. Okay. Um, imagine this scene at a bus stop. And there's a group, of, there's a group of, of like black ladies waiting for the bus underneath this tree in the shade and enjoying the shade. And, and, uh, and then there's another, another lady, also black, who's standing out, like not hanging out with those other ladies, kind of all by herself. This lady coming to the coming to the uh, well in the middle of the day, at the hardest part of the day, um, there's some indication there that she probably wasn't able to come with everybody else. Like, she was, like, socially excluded. So there's this woman kind of standing out in the sun, waiting for the bus, as another group of ladies is, is standing in the shade. And they're all talking, and she's just standing by herself. And the bus rolls up, and one of the ladies in the group in the shade is like, you know what? So when they see her getting on, why don't we just wait for the next one? Right? We're just going to wait for the next one. So this, this lady gets on the bus by herself. And she goes to pay in, in Birmingham, Alabama in 1948. Um, you would, if you were black, you, had to, you would have to enter the bus, pay your fare, and then exit the bus, walk outside, and come back in the bus in the door in the back because like, we wouldn't want you to walk past the white folks in the aisle, right? <laughs> That's too horrible. Um, I'm being sarcastic, so please, yeah, right? And so she, she, she's paying her fare, and she glances back, and she sees back in the back of the bus, which is the, the section reserved for, like, all of the people like herself, there's a white guy sitting back there. She doesn't know what to make of it. So she makes her way to the back of the bus, and she gets into the back of the bus, and they're, like, the only two people on the bus. The entire white section of the bus on the front is, is empty, and yet for some reason he's sitting back there. So she kind of nervously sits back there, 
And she gets out her, like, thermos. What did they drink in, out of in 1948? They didn't have a Yeti, whatever. Her Stanley thermos, right? And she pours herself a cup of water, and she's kind of nervously drinking it, wondering why this white guy's in her section. And please don't hear me say, I'll just better say this so I don't get the hate nails. I'm not saying that Jesus was white and, the, and the, this woman was black, okay? <laughs> just go with me. It's an illustration. In fact, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans were actually like related to each other, so they were ethnically similar, but the divisions between them were even bigger, I think, than the divisions between, between the blacks and the whites in, in, uh, in the South. Um, in fact, like the Jewish writers, there's, there's multiple quotes that I read this week about what people that wrote around the time of, of Jesus. They said... Uh, talking about Samaritans, they said that uh, if, you, if you ate with a Samaritan, no matter what you ate, it was the same as eating swine's flesh. Like, um, and Jews didn't eat pork, right? So it would make you unclean just to eat with a Samaritan. That's how they felt about him. Another quote that I saw was that Samaritan women in particular, because like women are a whole step below like men, in, at least in their thinking, right? It's not true. Like, send your hate mails to Aaron. Um, <laughs> Uh, it said that a Samaritan woman, um, that, that a Samaritan woman is like perpetually unclean. And so that if you were to like engage with her at all, it would make you unclean. So we're all like things in the ancient world that they believe. So there's these deep divides, even though they weren't visibly by skin color, there was deep divides. And so this, so this guy in the back of the bus with this woman asks her for a drink and ends up drinking out of her same thermos. There's some serious tension here. In fact, what we find out that happens then is that, is that this woman looks at him and says, like, why are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Then John tells us, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Right? They are too far below them to speak. See, I hope you can feel the, the tension of this for a moment. There's this awkwardness and this tension. And, and I have a ton of respect for this woman because she, she doesn't back down with Jesus. She pushes and, and it goes on. She, she asks that question. There's these, there's, these, there's these deep divisions between them. And what Jesus does is he crosses hundreds of years of animosity and segregation by speaking to her, and even more than that, by asking her, putting himself in a place where he allows himself to be served by her. You know, the, the differences between the Jews and the Samaritans go back centuries. Like, um, the, the Samaritans were the descendants of the ten tribes who were taken into captivity uh, in 721 B.C., I think is the date. And they, they didn't remain faithful to, like, their people and intermarried with the races. So, so they were kind of this half-breed race of Jews. At least that's how the Jews viewed them. So, there, like, the, the Jewish people, like, kept their bloodlines pure, where the Samaritans, they were the compromisers. There was, there was like, this deep kind of, like, ethnic division between them. There was religious division between them because the Samaritans only recognized the first five books of the Bible, and so their worship place was, on, was right near this well on the hillside um, behind her, and we're going to hear about that later. Um, and the Jews said, no, you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. So there was deep like ethnic divides. There was deep religious divides. And, it, and those divisions go clear back politically to to uh, the division of the kingdom after, after Solomon died, 
the Samaritans are the descendants of the ten northern tribes, whereas the Jewish people were the descendants of like Judah and Benjamin. So these people are divided in every way possible, politically, like religiously, socially, gender. There's no reason on earth Jesus should be talking to this woman, at least in anybody's minds, Jew or Samaritan. It was a shock. And she's like, well, why, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? Two, two kind of social things that, that uh, Jesus is disregarding. You know, I just want to make a comment here is that Jesus and disregarding all of the things that people use to separate us was proving something to us about who God is. Like, back in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 6, start at verse 14. Listen to what it says in John chapter 3, verse 14. And, and as, yeah, flip back there. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about himself, that one day he's going to be crucified, that whoever, you know who he's including when he says Whoever. Everybody, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, Russian, American, whatever. That whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the people just like him. Right? John 3.16. You guys aren't even paying attention. You're like, amen. Right? So... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? And here is this Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus comes to her and he engages her and he crosses all of these boundaries, the political isolation, the ethnic isolation, the religious isolation, and he begins to speak to her and care for her as a person. It shocked her. Like, why are you even talking to me? Was her response. You know, I guess that, that, that Jesus should be a challenge to us here. Because what is your willingness, what is my willingness to cross the boundaries that our world creates say about how much of the heart of Jesus that we have? Or do you just engage the people that are just like you? What is your willingness to cross the boundaries that this world establishes between people, say, about what you ha- like if, whether or not you have the heart of Jesus? Jesus crossed like, ethnic boundaries. He crossed religious boundaries. He crossed political boundaries. And he's talking to this he, gender. And he's talking to this woman and engaging her in a conversation um, like in honor and as an equal you know, it's, you know, we claim to be people who know the truth, and yet do we just sit comfortably by and engage people that make us feel comfortable, or are we willing to talk to the Samaritan women in our life that are as far removed from us as they could be or not? You know, we, Jesus is, uh, is showing us here that, you know, that his work and the message of, of the gospel is for every single person. And all those things that divide us, politics, geography, skin color, gender, lifestyle, like Jesus loves every single person and he seeks to engage them. You know, and if, 
And if we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us, like, and it was a problem in the early church. If you read the book of Acts, everybody thinks, oh, I want to be like an Acts, Acts church, like a church just like it was in Acts. Everybody heard that? Well, the church in Acts, Acts chapter 6, like they were neglecting the widows who were ethnically different from them in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 10, they were upset because dirty, rotten Gentiles were getting saved. Acts chapter 15, they had to have like the first church council to fight about this thing and decide like, can Gentiles actually become Christians or not? And then all through the epistles, like you see people talking about like needing to tear down the divisions that we create like racially and every other way in our lives. Like it's part of the human condition where we have ourselves in the in-group and all, everybody else in the out-group, whoever you are. And what Jesus does here is he's like, you know what, like he came to die for the whole world and engage the whole world and he was willing to cross boundaries to do that. And he engaged this woman who, by indication that she's at the well by herself in the middle of the day to get her water, probably tells you that everybody else had discarded already. I think it's a challenge for us because it's so easy for us just to to stay comfortable with our own cultural, religious, and linguistic tribe and resist crossing the barriers that that exist between people for the sake of the, the gospel. The early church struggled with it, and if I think if we think we don't struggle with it, we're probably deluded. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that this, this morning so far. Jesus sought to picture the love of God and cross those barriers so that she could have a real encounter um, with the Lord himself. You know, it's interesting. I forget where I am here in my verse. Um, Jesus doesn't, so she, she responds to him like, basically, why are you even talking to me? And asking me for a drink because um, Jews don't even, don't even talk to us. Jesus answered. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus was like, man, all of these boundaries that you're allowing to like in- interfere with our relationship right now in this moment, he's saying, show that you don't know who I am. Because if you really knew who I was... If you really knew who it was that asked you for a drink, and you really knew what I could offer you, the gift of God, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. And she, she comes back to him, which, I, I, again, I appreciate her moxie, if that's even the right word. But she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You know, it's interesting tone, like, um, I probably read it with maybe even more disrespect than she intends because she starts with this term, sir or Lord. Like, she's showing him some respect here. She's not just discarding him. But there's this, there's a, she, she's smart, right? She knows, like, this is the only well for a while around. I'm the only guy, only person here with a bucket and a rope. You got nothing. So where, where are you going to get this water? I think she's got, like, a little playful, sarcastic sense to her. Like, all right, we'll play. Like, the well's deep. You have no bucket. There's no well around. Where are you going to get this water? She's, she's, she's intrigued. She's engaging. But Jesus' the, Jesus' response is, is, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew that what God had, has in store for you, what God wants to give you, if you, if you knew what 
what he wants to do for you, you'd be asking him for something to drink. You know, I think oftentimes we get stuck in our lives just because we don't really believe what God has for us. We don't really believe what he's offering for us. We don't really believe that he is who he claims to be. And so we don't go ask him for a drink. We just keep going back to the same well over and over again that we've always gone to and just letting it like quench our temporary thirst. He's like, if you knew, you would ask him and he would give you living water. He's saying, like, you just see me as a Jew, but I'm so much more, and I can offer you so much more. And then I love her response. Verse 12. No, verse 11. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. She's like, this well has been feeding, or like, nourishing our people for Jacob lived probably like over a thousand years. And you have nothing, Jesus. You got no bucket. You got no rope. You really think you're going to give me water that's going to like satisfy me? You're not greater than Jacob, are you? You know, she, she's got some stuff to her, and she's got some, but she also has some curiosity. But she's ask, basically saying to, their, to Jesus, you know, like, Jacob gave them water that has cared for their livelihood for a thousand years. Who do you think you are? You know, the, I mean, I think, that, I think there's something that the woman reveals about our hearts, that the belief and assumptions that we all have about what we really need in life and what's really going to, like, what's going to really meet our needs in life are probably not the same as, as what they really need to be. Like, I, don't, I think what the woman's realizing or illustrating is that she has no idea what she really needs. She thinks she needs some temporary water that she's going to have to come back for again tomorrow. But Jesus offers her living water, and that brings us to our third point. He starts off in verse 13, uh, making some pretty strong personal assertions. Look what he says. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. There's a couple of things I want to point out there. First of all, this is the first time Jesus begins to talk about him in the, himself in the first person. He says, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give. Then he says, he says it one more time, right? Um, yeah, he says it twice. Like, I am the one who gives living water so that you will never thirst. The other thing that's interesting that he does is he switches gender. Look what he says. Um, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. What Jesus is doing is he's talking to this woman, um, and, and the way language worked, and it still is that way largely today, is that, is that like the hymn covered both men and women. He wasn't excluding her, but he's stepping back, and he's making a generalized statement to all of us. It's like, he, like, it's like you know, this play is playing out in front of us between Jesus and this woman, and then all of a sudden it stops, the spotlight comes on Jesus, and he turns and he looks at all of us. And he says, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But everyone that drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never 
thirst. He's looking at every single one of us and he's saying, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, like there is a water available in me that will quench your thirst forever, that will satisfy your needs, that will bring you nourishment, that will bring you all of those things that you long for, that you keep going back to again and again. And he's got the woman's attention, verse 15. Oh, yeah, whoever, and not only that, that will, you, will the water not cause you to thirst, but it says that the water shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. If you come to Jesus to have your, like, to, to drink, you all have, like, the spring that's overflowing that will always satisfy. You'll never thirst again. The woman bites, and she says this, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to drink. You know, the the woman still doesn't quite get it. You know, Jesus is offering to meet her deepest needs, and yet she's still kind of stuck on, I just don't want to have to make this walk every single day, carry my bucket of water every single day, Keep drinking of this water that just makes me thirsty again. Like, if, if you're serious, give me this water so I don't have to keep doing this. I think that goes on in our own hearts, right? We get thirsty. We walk long distances to try to quench our thirst, only to find that we're thirsty again. Right? We hunger for things, and we thirst for things. We achieve them, and we realize, oh, that's not as satisfying as I thought it was going to be. Over and over and over again, day after day after day. The woman like illustrates for us what Jeremiah the prophet says in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. He says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Did you hear that? They're two evils. They, they've forsaken the fountain of living water and they just keep digging these cisterns, these like reservoirs that will never be able to hold water and it always leaves them thirsty. And Jesus is like, you know, like in your life, woman of Samaria, you need to stop coming back to the same wells to drink over and over and over again. And, and, you know, she thinks he's talking about, like, literal water. And so she asks that, like, hey, I don't want to have to keep coming back here. And, then, and, and so when she asks that, Jesus turns it, though. It's in verse um, 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way to drink. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. So here we find out why this woman is like sitting out in the sun when all of her friends are in the shade. Here we find out why this woman is at the well by herself instead of coming to other ladies in the cool of the day. Why she's isolated and alone, and thirsty. And we don't know her story completely. We just know, get, catch a little glimpse of it here, but her story has been that she's had five husbands and probably got tired of marriage, tired of all that, 
And so now she's just living with a guy who's not even her husband, which might not sound so horrific in today's culture, but in that culture, and this woman is like an outcast. She'd gone through five marriages. We don't know if they died or if she was divorced by them or divorced them. And she finally kind of gave up on the institution altogether, and now she's just living with a guy. She's gone back to the same well again and again and again to drink, and for whatever reason that she can't figure out, she just keeps coming up thirsty. Jesus is like, the water that I want to give you, maybe we'll address that need. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. This is verse 19. No. Verse 17, the woman said, I have no husband. She was, she was factually correct, right? She had five. The one she's living with now isn't her husband. And Jesus calls her out on that. And he actually, he actually compliments her twice. You have said well that I have no husband. Because you've had five. And now the guy you're living with isn't your husband either. Right? So it's kind of like this compliment and rebuke all like twisted together. You know, Jesus doesn't just leave her talking about, talking about water. He goes and speaks to her deepest need, this need that's reflected in these, these kind of serial relationships that she's had with guys. And she's in a relationship now that she's not even married, but for whatever reason, she just keeps going back to that same well to drink. And Jesus is offering her something so much better. You know, I guess that there's this question, though, because he tells her that, that he tells her, whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall, shall never thirst. How many of you guys have experienced that? I don't know about you, but like I've come to faith in Jesus. I've drunk from his well, and I find myself hungry and thirsty for all sorts of things. I mean, we, we, we long for deeper connection with God. We thirst for more intimacy with him. We thirst for like, like, a, just like a relief from our anxiety. We thirst for, like, you can just fill in the blank. I thirst for whatever. Security, affection, money, a clean conscience. The human condition is somewhat thirsty. So what's Jesus saying when he says you'll never thirst? Like, is he, is he just giving us a bunch of religious BS? Like, hey, bait and switch, come to me and you'll never thirst again. And yet here we all are and all of us experience some thirst at some level. Is he mistaken? I think the answer for us is, it, is in the... Is in what he says next, because the water that I give him shall become a well of water springing up to eternal life. What he's saying is that when, when you come to faith in me and you experience the work of my spirit upon you, and that's what he's talking about, that this work of the spirit of God that, that comes upon us. And that because back in chapter three, he talked about the water in the spirit and you have like me indwelling you and you've received new life from me. You never have to thirst again. In fact, like this work of the Spirit of God will always be there to satisfy you. This, it'll spring up within you. To, but the reality is, is that we just often don't drink. He offers us like satisfaction and joy and 
a quenching of our thirst, and yet we just don't drink. We go everywhere else. Right? We go to like the internet or to social media or to serial relationships like this woman, or we go to thing after thing after thing after thing when Jesus promises that he is the fountain of living waters. He's the one that will ultimately satisfy. And that when we come to him, like we'll have this unquenchable like, like, ability to find our thirst met in him. The question is, are we going to come to him or not? Or do we go everywhere else like this woman had been doing? You know, Andrew Murray, who was a missionary in South Africa, like in the 1800s, he I think this quote's helpful. He says this. He says, It says, God desired to reveal himself in and through his creatures by communicating to them as much of his own goodness and glory that they were capable of receiving. But this communication was not meant to give created beings something that they could possess in themselves, having full charge and access apart from him. Let me read that again. This communication was not meant to give created beings something that they could possess in themselves, having full charge and access apart from him. Think about that for a second. If, 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 what he meant, if what Jesus meant here was that you just drink of me once and you will be forever satisfied, what would you do with the rest of your life? Well, what he's saying is like, no, like the satisfaction that we experience from drinking of the water that Jesus gives is something that, um, how did he phrase it? He goes on, rather, God as the ever-living, ever-present, ever-acting one who upholds all things by the word of his power and in whom all things exist meant that the relationship of his creatures to himself would be one of unceasing, absolute dependence. What Jesus is saying is like, it's not just one dose and you're good for the... No, it's like he is always available to satisfy our deepest thirsts. And we can come to him again and again and again. In fact, he created us to live in constant dependence upon him. Not to just go get what we need from him off the shelf and then just live independently from him. The life that Jesus gives is a life of one of where we constantly live in dependence upon him and, and find ourselves nourished and our thirst quenched in him. You know, I don't know about you, but I need this this morning. I wrote this in my notes this morning. You know, because I, I have to confess to you, like, I can't say that I never thirst, right? We look around, and there's all sorts of stuff we thirst for. You know, I so often just continue to live in all the cultural assumptions that our culture tells me of what I need, just living in cultural complacency of wrongly assuming that I even know what I thirst for, let alone know how to get what I thirst for. And Jesus is the one who says, no, I'm the one in whom your thirst will be forever quenched. I think I need to hear the same thing that the woman was hearing. If you knew the gift of God, Steve, and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Like, do we? Do we know that Jesus is the one who will ultimately satisfy? Jesus is the one that we ultimately need. Jesus is the one that will ultimately like, bring us all of that security that we long for, that this woman was in these serial relationships over. You 
And I think we need to refuse to be satisfied with the temporary waters that this world offers us. Let, let him expose our deepest areas of thirst and sin. I probably have anything that this woman wanted Jesus not to bring up. It was the fact that she had had five husbands and now was sleeping with some guy that wasn't her husband, right? Like it's got to be pretty high on the list. I hope he doesn't find out about that. And yet Jesus goes right to her place of deepest pain, right to where it shows her deepest need is, and he says, I can quench your deepest thirst. You know, so let him expose our deepest, our needs of deepest thirst. He's, he's loving and gracious and gentle to do so. Come to him in faith. I need to remind myself of what he promises and who he is. Like all the stuff that we go to every single day, it's all just a cheap substitute for what Christ has to offer us. And then we need to drink. We just need to believe humble ourselves before him, like pursue him because he's the one that can satisfy our deepest needs. Well, my time is up. I didn't realize my, uh, my time is up this morning, but I'm just going to end at point three then. Um, Aaron, why don't you come up? But let me just talk just briefly because the woman then engages him and we'll pick up here next week. It's, it's a benefit I have of you're not getting rid of me. Um, but the woman said to him, Sir, verse 19, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. I think the woman is, and we'll talk about this more next week, I don't think she's just trying to change the subject. I think she's hearing what Jesus is saying and that Jesus, a Jew, is offering her a Samaritan like satisfaction and joy in her life that she has never experienced before. And he's crossing all of the boundaries that we create in this world to do it. And she's like, oh, you're a prophet. And so he, she tests him one more time. Like, are you going to be a Jew? Or are you going to be a Samaritan? Who's right? You know, and, and we'll talk about this next week. But Jesus' response to her is that, no, it's those who worship in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Samaritan or American or Mexican or Ukrainian. Like, he offers life and joy, and living water by the power of his Holy Spirit through himself. You know, and so as we sing, I just want to challenge you guys. Like, I think we're a lot more like this woman at the well than we realize. We keep coming back to the same wells to drink. We keep thinking that the water of this world is going to satisfy us. We keep, like, clinging on to those things and, and even though she's on try number six with guys like Jesus steps in graciously and offers her life and how many times do we need to go back to the same things that will never satisfy us instead of just in faith pursuing Jesus and drinking from him you know, and I think for if you're here and you've never come to faith in Christ, like there's something about this woman, like Jesus exposed her deepest kind of probably area of shame, the thing that caused her to be excluded by everybody else at the bus stop. 
And he entered into a relationship with her, and he offered her life. In fact, look what he says. Um, sorry, Aaron, I'm making you stand up there. Verse 23, but an hour is coming when the true worshipers shall worship who? The Father in spirit and truth. This woman who had been excluded by everybody, Jesus is offering her a relationship with God as Father. You can become a daughter of God himself, regardless of whatever baggage you bring. He's the one that can satisfy your thirst. He's the one that paid the price for our sin. So come to him and drink. Andrew, I mean, Aaron, why don't you close us and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the, the truth of that song, that all we have is you, that you are our life, that you are the source of living water, that you're the one that gives life amidst all of our brokenness. And Father, I just ask if, um, for each of us here, that we would pursue you, that we would come to you as the source of living water, so and we wouldn't just keep going back to the same things to drink that will never satisfy us. And forgive us for, I guess, that inclination of our hearts and that, that posture where we pursue so many other things other than you, and, and I just ask that you'd empower us to pursue you um, this week. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.